last week, we, I just got through, uh, what I'm trying to do here is do three takeaways from the book of Romans since John Gray with uh, his partner in crime, Daniel Williams, who are sitting right w- with each other, separated by their wives there. What's that? Conspiring for, for their next round of Romans. I think they're up to chapter eight now, eight next week. So, uh, so I didn't want to do like um, anything that would compete with them, but I wanted to stay on the same theme. So I just decided to do three of my favorite takeaways from the book of Romans. These are things that are, to me, are so important that they've got to be part of your Christian thinking all the time. You know, I, when uh, some of the concepts we have, like the five first steps when entering Christ's kingdom, uh, based on the pattern of observing uh, the seven different examples of a group of people coming to Christ in the book of Acts, I think in terms of those. Like when I'm working with uh, someone who's in the process of coming to the Lord, my goal is to uh, stay with them long enough that they have enough friends in, in, in the church that someone else can, can, can gradually take over the pastoral care for them. But I want to make sure they've gone through all five of the first five steps of entering Christ's kingdom. Instead of the average Christian experience, most people have gone through two of the five and are somewhat unaware of some of the others. And so I think what that does is it causes you to sort of take a wrong turn right at the beginning of your Christian life. You weren't meant to live the Christian life without the, pol- the power of the Holy Spirit as a daily thing and without knowing how to get filled, filled, and refilled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I think people are probably... You know, probably a lot of you are much more spiritual than me and love God more faithfully and, and all that kind of stuff. But I have this kind of a problem. It's a very, very consistent problem. In my 47 years of being a Christian, I have never not had this problem. And that is, I get filled with the Holy Spirit. I get refilled with the Holy Spirit. But here's something you just need to know about your, your unfaithful pastor. I leak. I leak all over the place. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, like when, when God fills me with the Holy Spirit, it's very similar to when I try to fill up a colander with water. <laughs> you know, if you get the water going fast enough, you might be able to make a little progress. But it's sort of, so I just need to be refilled. There's actually an old pastor's joke where, uh, you know how a lot of churches have the format where they'll have an altar call every meeting, uh, whether people are coming to the Lord or just need to be prayed for for this or that. And, and there was this one dear old lady who would come up and she'd say, oh, Lord, I've sinned again. And, I'm, and I really need to be forgiven and I need to to uh, be filled again and, and so forth. And and so, you know, the pastor would graciously pray for her and, and you know, this and go on and pray for someone else or someone and this happened like every Wednesday and every Sunday night and, uh, you know, two or three times a week for, you know, 27, 37 years, something like this. And so finally, one time she's praying, oh, Lord, fill me again. And the pastor finally said, don't do it, Lord. She leaks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, the truth is we leak. 
Some of us don't have as big a leaks as others, seemingly. Some of us, leaks aren't as noticeable. You know, like, as you can tell, one of my sins is gluttony. I carry the credentials right with me. <laughs> you know, and uh, so uh, in, in America, that's a much more acceptable Christian sin than others. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Americans have hierarchies about which sins are okay. It's okay to have gluttony as long as, you know, you don't drink too much wine or something. So, um, just had some wonderful ice cream bars just last night. It's part of college football day. So, uh, takeaway number one was simply this, just a review. I've got very little time left. So, and I'm still on reviewing, <laughs> as usual. Takeaway number one was the power of the gospel. The reason I had, uh, did this message, it kind of coincides with celebrating Catherine's faith. She heard a guy who was about one and a half years old in Christ, who'd been discipled by you know, a guy named Ray Nethery, who was uh, Bill Bright's assistant leader of Campus Crusade for Christ, a good man. Uh, you know, he, a lot of you know he's still my pastor today, even though he's 92 years old. But, um, but you know, he, I wouldn't say a one-and-a-half-year-old in Christ has, like, St. Augustine's grasp of the gospel. <laughs> Yet, uh, nevertheless, the words of Scripture shared by a ba- baby Christian who had a certain amount of passion and zeal for the Lord changed her forever and the domino effect of that I was kind of hoping but I decided not to uh, have some testimonies from other people uh, who Catherine's led to Christ since then you know some of you who are uh, associated with uh, uh, Wayne and Sandy McNamara and Dominion Academy uh, even though their kids didn't go there they used to be part of that church you might know Pat and Darling Pringer and you know I Catherine and I and two baby Christians went out sharing the gospel one night. It was a Sunday night in January 1985, uh, whatever the first or second Sunday of that, of that uh, year was. And it was the only night that I ever went out to share the gospel that nobody let, let me in their door at all. I did, you know, we'd knock on the door and ask if we could share with them about the Christian faith and lifestyle. And everybody I, whose door we knocked on said no to me and the young lady I was with. And Catherine was with a young man who's brand-new Christian and didn't know, didn't know anything about the Lord at all. From, and, uh, um, you know, I, about, uh, oh, after about an hour of getting re- turned down, I said, we better go find Catherine. And, and uh, Larry was the other guy's name, not Larry Jermichael. And... Um, so we finally found him, and we, you know, we actually sat on the steps outside the door listening to Catherine share the gospel with these people, and I sat there for another 45 minutes. So by this time, she'd been sharing the gospel with these people for about an hour and a half. You know, just some strangers had let her in the door. And finally, I said, you know, this is going so well, we might as well just join them. So we knocked on the door and joined the party. And uh, about three weeks later, they committed their life to Christ and are still Christians to this day. 
so the the point is, you you know, it's not uh, it's not us who do the work. God has chosen to limit Himself, as Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that there's a reason for it. This is why. God decides to put the treasure of the power of the Holy Spirit in Melody Osborne. Because, uh, because Melody knows, like John Luke knows, like Sam Awante knows, like Teresa knows, like Deanna knows, I have nothing in me that you could want. Uh, you know, I might have enough pocket change to get you a cup of coffee, but that's about it. I don't have anything that will, that will change your life. But what I've done is, by the grace of God, I memorized two or 3,000 scriptures my first five or so years of being a Christian. Uh, now they, it's much more confusing because we used to just use the New American Standard Bible, which was pretty much the best translation available in the 70s. But now the, the NIT came along, or NIV, I mean, which is not a very good translation, but very popular. Then, um, of course, the English Standard Version, which was the whole purpose was to correct all the bad, shoddy translation work of the NIV, but still be quite as, but much simpler. So it's an excellent translation with very simple English. Best one to begin with, especially if you're not a, a you know, like avid reader with big vocabulary. You start with the ESV, the first few times you read the Bible. And, um, you know, now you have them memorized in four or five translations, so you get it a little messed up. But with, you get one or two words wrong, we can still do it. And why, why is that important? Because trust me on this. When you come and ask me to talk about this fear or this confusion or this uh, relational problem in your family or, or, or whatever it is, you don't want my opinion. I don't even want my opinion. <laughs> you really don't. The reason we have to be the people of the book and know the word and have the word be all through us and around us and in us and really know it backward and forward is because we were created to think God's thoughts after him. So often, we, there's, a, there's a lot of very popular wrong understandings of the Bible. Today, one is in Isaiah 55, when Isaiah is rebuking Israel, and he says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And people tra quote that as if that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, John, it's okay that you got it wrong, because don't worry, your thoughts aren't God's thoughts, nor your ways God's way. That's not what that verse means. That verse is a confrontation and a rebuke to Israel, saying, by, you've, been, you've been my people long enough. By now, your thoughts need to be my thoughts. By now, your ways need to be my ways. By now, if I come and, and ask uh, Adam's opinion of something, he sh should be able to say, this is what God's word says. This is what God thinks. This is what, uh, God, how God feels. And you should cry when God cries, and you laugh when God laughs. And you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you weep with those who weep, because God does. And you spent enough time sitting at his feet 
studying his word and being filled with his spirit in such a way that you actually feel what he feels. And, you know, if you become a, a blubbering idiot that, that breaks down crying whenever you're trying to share stuff and stuff, I'm, I'm, I think that's wonderful. Because there's a lot of broken people, there's a lot of hurting people, and there's a lot of damaged people. And I think if you can have lots of conversation without weeping, there, you're, you got a problem. You're messed up. Your, your heart is too hard. You should probably have a problem with crying too much. That's normal. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, I was uh, talking to a wonderful Christian married counsel, uh, couple that I counsel by video calls. And, uh, you know, they were sharing with me about how their first uh, or the second baby that she carried at nine months and then the baby was stillborn. And I started to cry. And of course, you know, I remembered that we went through the same thing with Catherine's brother and her, his, uh, Catherine's brother's wife who died of, uh, of breast cancer about, well, her funeral was the same day as your wedding. I, she went to the funeral, I went to your wedding. But she had battled breast cancer for over 20-some years. And, you know, the first really difficult thing they went through was uh, their first baby went the full nine months and then was born and, and was dead. And believe me, everybody you know goes through hard things. Everybody. And uh, if you're not crying sometimes when you're, when you're fellowshipping with people, what's wrong with you? Well, Takeaway number one that that I preached all around is that all these verses in Romans add up to the gospel is a very powerful thing. Takeaway number two was that Paul's epistles, especially Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, Philippians, Etc. Really, follow, Paul follows a pattern quite often that he first gives you the metaphysical, theological stuff that he calls milk, because milk builds framework, milk builds bones, and you have to have the right bones in your Christian life to have the right muscle. You meet Christians all the time that say, "Oh, I became. I've been a Christian since I was eight. And their their life, uh, you know, they're they're addicted to drugs, or they're full of self pity, or they're they're just sad all the time. That you know, the Christian life hasn't made any progress in them, and it you, it, it breaks your heart. You just want to weep and cry over them, and it's appropriate to do so. And it's because often they never really took enough time to get the milk right. 
we live in a society that kind of uh, spurns in our attitude, uh, theoretical, like deep theology. And, and you know what? Deep theology is like, you know, I remember meeting an evangelical Christian that had a bachelor's degree in Bible study and they didn't know what the word incarnation meant. And I was like, what? We kind of like, it's like, in fact, you get criticized all the time. Uh, like people say, well, boy, you had all this systematic theology and you talked about, you know, parousia or what it meant or something. And, uh, but you didn't have any practicals about how to do it. The practicals are actually self-evident if you have the if framework right. If you look at a skeleton without any skin or bones, you pretty much can figure out which way the arms are supposed to move and stuff. Right? And if you, if you have a, a Christian life that has all these practicals without the bones, it's just a blob. And you'll have kind of a blob Christian experience. So takeaway number two is don't despise the fact that Colossians 1 and 2 give you a very thorough, detailed uh, portrayal of all the biblical truths that center in Christ. Here's a good way to remember it. Uh, Colossians is about the Christ of the church, and Ephesians is about the church of Christ. Memorize that. So when, you, when you're reading in Ephesians, it gives you three chapters of gospel theology and then three chapters of practical how to live. But in all six chapters, he presents eight word pictures of what the church is. The army of God, the city of God, the temple of God, the household of God. All of which, if you thoroughly understand the metaphor, the word picture, the image, you'll, you'll have a much better understanding uh, of what a church is supposed to be. Today we measure success in churches by how many butts are in the pew. Sorry to be crass. But that's no measure at all. How much did you help this person go from where they were when God brought them into your life to where God intends them to be in terms of a full, abundant life with great vocational uh, experience, great ministry, and great marriage, gr wonderful skills at raising children, the ideal grandparent. Some of you will become that. <laughs> Not hopefully next week. But uh, uh, it's wonderful to be grant. Like Catherine spent the whole day in, in, with three of our grandchildren yesterday, right? And she, she presented the, young, the youngest one with this blanket that she actually started knitting for like one or two babies ago. <laughs> you know, but, but she eventually got it done. But, um, but it's, it's been fun the last few years whenever I have a chance to be at home for a little while in the evening. Catherine is sitting there knitting it. And I, before that, I didn't even know she knew how to knit. But she used to knit sweaters and stuff like that when she was a kid. 
All right, so milk, meat, that's a takeaway. Understand the difference. Like meat builds bone, meat builds muscle and skin. And I really don't want to see you without your skin on. Just keep that in mind. You know, <laughs> if you're coming to a church picnic, bring your skin. Hopefully with some clothes over that skin, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't want to just see your bones. But I don't want to see you with no bones either. And that's, you meet, sometimes you meet people that are still struggling to get basic founded things in 10 and 20 years into this walk. And it's because they don't have the bones right. They've never done enough thorough biblical studies to, to get all the basic ideas of grace and et cetera. Okay, so that was takeaway two. So I guess I'm going to have to go one more week uh, to get takeaway three. Um, but I'm going to at least introduce takeaway three, even though I'm past time. And I'm, I'm ex- actually expected at another church. Um, Uh, if you look at the back side of the page, there's, uh, I, since this is kind of a takeaways from Romans, it's all mostly verses from Romans. But the verses are about mostly the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this verse, Romans, 1, if you, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Verse 5, Paul ends that little paragraph about standing in Christ. And you can let the kids come in. They won't bother me. Um, They can make as much noise as they want. I'll talk louder. Um, So let let all the kids come in. It's fine. So, Sam, let all the kids come in, Stephen. It's fine. They can just go sit with their parents. You can't come in unless you're going to sit with your parents. Um, So... Romans 5, 1 through 5, at verse 5, he says this. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Now, if even when you look at the Greek, here's what's not clear. When he's using the phrase, the love of God that's been poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit, is he talking about what's, what's been poured into you is an overwhelming sense of how much God loves you. Or is he talking about our love for God? Which is manifested uh, in things like worship and biblical studies. It's actually managed mostly. It's measured in, uh, you know, um, in obedience. You don't have to be very long, married very long until you tell you, I love you, dear. I love you, dear. If you love me, don't forget Wednesday night's trash night. (laughs) Take it, you know, if if you love me, get a job. <laughs> I'm just I remember having this conversation with both my sons when they are five-ish. I said, boys, Wednesday night is trash night. You, you got to empty all the waste baskets in the house, put them in the, the right bags, tie them off right. And I taught them how to do all that a couple times and, and roll the wheelies out. 
and I'll, I'll know that you're starting to grow up when I don't have to remind you that Wednesday night is trash night. Now, I hope, if you're a parent, that you seek God for patience, forbearance, and long-suffering, because I had to remind them that Wednesday night is trash night uh, for four or five years, but guess what? Right around age 10, 11, I never had to remind them anymore that Wednesday night was trash night. And what God actually wants, it's amazing how many people are think, I'm, you believe me, this church is really into theology, we want to have this right or that right or whatever. But the reason we take a posture of things like, uh, if you want to get into the fight that the Christians have fought since the Reformation about paedo-baptism or credo-baptism, most of our elders and leaders are paedo-baptists. We have quite a few members, judging by how many people have asked us to baptize their children, that I'm sure must be uh, credo-baptists. Guess what? We don't care which one you are, even in terms of being a member in good standing or even being a leader in good standing. What we care is that you understand the covenantal significance of water baptism and why it's important and that you understand both positions and enjoy one. And if it's not the same position as me, I don't care. Now, I do care if you don't believe in the Trinity. That's why we have the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and we recite the Apostles' Creed once a month and the Nicene Creed three times a month and so forth. Because there are some things that are hills you have to die on as a Christian, because if you don't believe this or that, you're not in the bounds of the Christian faith. We're about to have communion. There are four major positions in what happens in communion. I have a wonderful book that argues all four of them, if you want to read it. Uh, but guess what? Even if you're an elder of the church, I don't care which of the positions you, that you uh, take. And, and a lot of people think we're wishy-washy because we're not going to fight about that. And it's not a requirement for membership. Because you know what? I'm pretty sure I read the Bible pretty carefully. And when Jesus says, this is my body, he doesn't give you enough after that to, to decide which of the four without a whole lot of other theological digging. He just says, this is my body. Then he sa when he says, this is my blood, he doesn't tell you what happens. There's this great metaphysical transition and atoms come down from the sky. You, it, you know what? But he says, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say, and fight about it until you get it right. And Christians have been fighting about what happens at that moment for five centuries. And it hurts our witness in the whole world. And so people will say, well, you guys are awful wishy-washy about some very important issues. And I say, that's because we're committed to more important issues. I'm going I'm to be one with Catholics, Lutherans, 
Baptist, Methodist, uh, non-denominational, Pentecostal, whatever. As long as they're, they're Trinitarian and they're within the broad bounds of Orthodox Christianity. Orthodoxy is hugely important to us. After that, I don't want to fight about it. I came from a family with like six kids, and we usually had six or ten of the neighbor kids at our house for dinner. And, you know, we, we had to fight about if you're going to get any. <laughs> so I don't want to fight about, well, is this spaghetti and meatballs or sloppy joes? or what? I just want to make sure that we don't run out before I get to get some. So... Uh, I'm going to get into the last part in another message, but if you notice, my last part is all about wounded spirits and so forth. I'll just say this because we are way past time, and uh, Beth's going to probably yell at me tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, I'm probably in trouble. So, uh, um, One thing that Grace Christian Fellowship has been all about from the beginning, if you know anything about me, you know I came from a family that looked all wonderful and normal on the outside. It was very dysfunctional in so many ways. And I came with a lot of spiritual wounds. And uh, in the last six or seven years before I became a Christian, I probably was not high two or three days out of those seven years uh, because we ran out of drugs. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, what, I, what I really have a heart for is that the gospel is this. God made you. Sin came in, and sin messed up everything. And every part of our being, and our emotions, our relationships... Our approach toward money, our approach toward sex, our, uh, you know, why we don't like pasta. <laughs> uh, it's, we're all messed up. You know, Jesus loves you, and you're really messed up. <laughs> and you really haven't even scratched the surface of how messed up you are, Uh I think it was Luther, I can't remember if it was Luther or Augustine that used to teach, you won't even begin to understand the depth of sin until you seriously decide to become godly and righteous. Now, I've been trying to be a better Christian for 47 years, and I've made about as much progress as that hamster on the wheel in my cage sometimes. <laughs> Uh, God has made some progress at times by the grace of God. And uh, I can remember I was so naive and shallow. I can remember I went through a period of, in my first four and a half, five months of being a Christian, it all worked out that I wasn't in college and I didn't have a job. And therefore, my parents had a Christian bookstore. I had nine translations of the Bible. I had 500 Christian books. I had 2,000 Christian cassette tapes the day I got saved, and, uh, and I spent 10 hours a day studying this stuff, and I'd go to a different kind of church to learn, because I was out to learn all the different kinds of Christians that were out there, what they're all about, and so I worked hard at that for months and months, 
And uh, as God would show me my sin and how, how much grace I needed and stuff, I remember at one time I was so excited. I, I was like, you know, God is really helping me make some progress. If this keeps up, I'll probably be a pretty mature Christian in maybe like seven years. And then in seven years, I said, God's really helped me make some progress. If this keeps up, I think I'll probably be uh, a really mature Christian in about 17 years. <laughs> and then when I got to be around 30 years in crisis, you know, God's really helping me grow and make some progress. If this keeps up, sometime after I go to heaven, uh, maybe I'll be a pretty good Christian. <laughs> and now I'm like, I can't wait to find out what the mystery of not having a sin nature is. Because <laughs> that'll be a great day. So anyway, let's come and celebrate the Lord's uh, table together. And I'm sorry, I, have to, I do have to go. Where, uh, there's a pastor who discipled me for quite a few years. They're, they're celebrating his 50th anniversary in ministry, and I'm going to go be with him for so.